Hey, welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. I'm Dr. Stan. It's always an honor to be able to share with you principles from the Word of God. You know, it's the Word of God that changes us from the inside out. If you want to learn more about what we do, it's vision.edu, drstandycoven.com, or booksbyvision.org. Hey, I want to start a series based upon my little booklet. It's called Prelude to a Requiem, Principles of Leadership from the Upper Room. Now, you know, the Upper Room Discourse is, I mean, there's lots and lots of books that have been written on that. None as good as mine, of course, but most of them are quite good, uh, excellent resources. There's commentaries on this passage of Scripture, but what I want to present to you is really just some principles principles of life, principles for leaders to be able to use based upon what we see in the upper room. Because, you know, I, you know, as typical of me, I've got kind of a quirky way of seeing some of these things. And so anyway, why don't we dive into it? I don't know how many sessions this will be, but it's going to be a few. But I hope that it will give you some real pictures of what was really going on dynamically with the disciples and with Jesus in this upper room time frame. So, hey, so let me just start by reading a little bit from John chapter 13, which is where it starts, you know, the, the Lord's Supper. It says, Now, before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then he goes on to talk about the upper room. When the hour had come, you know, in a parallel passage in Luke, it talks about Jesus makes this statement. He says, oh, how I have longed, earnestly longed before I suffer to share this meal with you. Uh, you know, there's so many things I, I think that Jesus may have been thinking about. If you or I were, I mean, told that, hey, you have X amount of time to live and that your death is not going to be an easy one. I mean, I'm not sure if spending time with disciples is what we would want to do with our last moments, with our last days. But for Jesus, I mean, he had poured his life into his disciples because he recognized that the validity of his message, I mean, really the meaning, if you will, of his life was going to be carried on through these men. And, you know, this ragtag band, as we'll look at, a little bit later, I mean, they were not necessarily the most consistent, most, uh, you know, warm and fuzzy kind of leaders. They had their issues, like most good leaders do. I mean, uh, prior to going to the upper room, I mean, Jesus had decided there was, there was a need to have it properly prepared. You probably remember that in Matthew chapter 26, 17 through 19, Jesus tells his disciples, go find a, a certain man. A certain man. You know, one of the things about leaders is leaders are, are, are always tasked to do various things, sometimes things they don't particularly want to do. Jesus says, go find a certain man. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, which I have a few times and looked around, they still have, you know, in the middle of Jerusalem, they'll have uh, like a farmer's market and there's people everywhere and lambs and everything. It's, it's find a certain man. 
not just a certain man, but find a certain man carrying a, a water pot on his head and follow him and go to that upper room. It's going to be prepared. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have our fellowship, our Passover meal together. My goodness. I mean, could you imagine being given that assignment by your senior leader? I mean, what is he thinking about? Going into the midst of the city, there's hundreds of people. Yeah, but there wouldn't be hundreds of men carrying water pots because as we know, men don't carry water pots. Not in that day, not in the Middle East, but it was women that carried the water. And so a man would be one who probably was either a widower or perhaps uh, it was, had never been married, might be a person, I mean, if he's carrying a water pot, it means he's going to carry it somewhere. And so it's not quite as crazy as it may sound. But anyway, Jesus said, go find a, a certain man. And I'm convinced that Jesus is always looking for certain men, and he's always encouraging his leaders to find a, a certain man, the right person for the right time, for the right job. You know, one of the things that we know about great leaders is that they, they become great because they choose great workers to come around them and help them. They may have the vision, certainly Jesus had the vision, but even he recognized he could not fulfill the destiny that was placed upon his life as determined by the Father and Holy Spirit and himself before time began. They could not get the job done without other workers. And so Jesus was always looking for certain men. I mean, if you think about it, when he, when he first met Peter, I mean, Peter's just a fisherman, and, but a rough guy. And apparently, for a period of time, Peter and James and John were dropping their nets for a season and going to observe Jesus, hear him preach, hear him teach. And Jesus, of course, was observing them. They were pressing in. They were showing interest. And eventually, there was an encounter. And Jesus makes a statement, you know, up until now, you've fished for fish, but I've called you to be a fisher of men. Follow me. I mean, what an incredible invitation. Follow the teacher. Follow the rabbi. Follow the leader. I mean, there has to be followers if you're really going to be a leader. If you're leading something and nobody's following you, well, you're just out taking a walk. Well, Jesus again said, certain men, there's always certain men and certain women that God wants to use for his greater purposes. I'm sure this man, I mean, he's not talked about as being in the upper room where the disciples met, but no doubt he probably was. He would have benefited from the presence of Jesus and the, the 12 that were there. Anyway, there they are in the upper room, and, you know, they found a, a certain man. Go find him. Follow him. And again, as I mentioned, Jesus makes this statement. Uh, that, listen, the, the thing that I've wanted more than anything else is to spend this time with you. One of the problems we find in much areas of leadership today is leaders are more communicators and more preachers and teachers Frankly, they don't really like people that much, and it's somewhat understandable. You know, it's said that sheep bite, and they do. I mean, people have not just questions, but I mean, you know, the average pastor is preaching to the congregation on a Sunday morning and, and pouring their heart out and sharing the, the revelation that God's given them from the study of Scripture, and within seconds, they can't remember what's been spoken, or in their head, they're wondering, well, I wonder if... If, if Joe Schmo, the great evangelist, would agree with that, because that's who I'm following now. 
I remember years ago, as a gal that had some problems with their teenage daughter and called the church looking for help. But of course, before they had called the church, they'd had a meeting with the church leadership and where she declared that, you know, my pastor is a famous uh, evangelist of the day. And uh, that's who I mean, that I, that's who I believe, that's who I follow. And so when they called the church, our response was, well, why are you calling us? Why don't you call your pastor? What, what do you mean call our pastor? Well, that's, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> You've already declared that your pastor is this other evangelist. Why don't you? Well, they won't take my phone call. They don't know who I am. You're right. They don't. But that's one of the dilemmas that so many spiritual leaders have. I mean, the fact is sheep bite. They're inconsistent. All of that is true. And yet that's what God has called us. He's called us to minister, to serve people that in some cases really don't deserve to be. Well, I guess they all deserve to be, but you know what I mean. Jesus, I mean, his disciples, they were all over the board. They argued about who should be the leader. They confronted Jesus about his teaching. They disagreed with things. They didn't get, what is resurrection? I don't know what resurrection is. They, they, the only resurrection they knew was at the end of the age, when everything was said and done, there would be a, a final resurrection. Of course, that's what, you know, when Jesus had the confrontation with Mary and Martha, of course, I, we believe in the resurrection, the general resurrection of the dead. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoa, I don't know where that came. Was that a demon? I don't think so. Nor was it a deacon. It's just a sneeze. Anyway, so in the, in the middle of all of this, in spite of the inconsistency of the disciples that Jesus had, he simply makes this statement how he loved them. He loved them to the end. Even Judas. There was at no point, although he eventually turned him over to Satan to do what had entered into his heart by the devil, he still loved Judas. He loved him. He knew he was stealing. He loved Judas. Now that's a level of love that's difficult, I think. But most leaders, of course, we try and emulate Jesus. We're not there yet, but... But that's our goal, is to be able to love like Jesus loved, to serve like Jesus served. And so part of what we're going to look at in this brief series, and this is just, again, the introduction, is we're going to look at some of the principles in the upper room, from the washing of the feet to the, you know, the betrayal, all of that. It's, the drama is incredible in terms of what happens in these short chapters. But... They're so full of principles for leaders and for followers as well. Jesus' one desire was for the fellowship, the koinonia, the connectedness between him and his disciples. He knew they were inconsistent. He knew that they would argue. He knew all of that. He even knew that they were all going to run away without question. But he loved them. Leaders have to learn to love their people, of course. You don't always have to like them. I don't think Jesus always liked his disciples, but he always loved them and he wanted the best for them. And as true leaders in the body of Christ, we need to love our people and really cheer for them and want the very best for them. Even though they may not be very consistent, they may bite once in a while, they may be following leaders that you would never follow, that's for certain, but they're yours and you have a responsibility for them.
And if you will, your local church, your local congregation is your upper room. And how you treat, if you will, those that God has called to you in that upper room setting will determine ultimately the fruitfulness of your life and ministry. Hey, more on this next week.